0: Welcome to the Men's Global Live Stream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold a spot in 2 Corinthians chapter two. If you don't, don't sweat it. We're gonna put verses on the screen. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in part four of a series called Behind the Door. And the big idea we're exploring and applying is this, that behind the natural, behind the material, behind the visible, okay? Uh, there is a supernatural reality all believers in Jesus Christ belong to, and it's called the Kingdom of God. It is the superhumanity introduced by Jesus in the Gospels when he says the kingdom is near. It is the super adventure he invited all of his followers to participate in, and it's the super story that's unfolding literally right now, this second all around me, and all around you, all around every believer walking on the planet. And the goal of every man of God is to get behind the door of the natural, material, and visible, and live with our king in this kingdom that he is a ruler over, and then seize the kingdom moments assigned to us in our context, the spaces and places that we occupy. In part one, we talked about growing our awareness, just the the intellectual mental side where we've got to get it to the front of our brain, who we are in this kingdom that we belong to and what, what our calling and commission to participate in it is. In part two, we talked about how do we navigate that kingdom? Where do we get the insight and the familiarity? And we look into the dynamics and the forces and the rhythms and key truths that we need to apply in order to navigate our spot in the kingdom well. And then in part three, we talked about moving from sort of a head knowledge and an awareness to begin the process of actually participating in this superhumanity, this super story and super adventure to which we actually belong by seeking the kingdom first. What does that look like in a practical sense? And that seeking keeps us behind the door and we're going to continue in that flow okay, continuing to move from just an intellectual, mental, or even a heart awareness into practical and personal involvement in the kingdom of God, all right? Now, to get us in into a transition and from knowing about the kingdom to living out uh, the kingdom of God in our lives, I want you to think about some smells, okay? Uh, I want you to think about certain strong, powerful smells, and let me qualify this: that you associate with your life. Okay. I think the most powerful smell that I can associate with my with my life is a perfume that my wife Chrissy wore in college. It was it was by Estee Lauder. It was called Beautiful, and I remember like I could. I could smell it, and instantly uh, I I could feel her presence. You know, something that was invisible became visible, and then of course she would show it up. And when I had to move to Texas and we dated long distance, what what did I have in my bedroom? Long distance, I had a bottle of beautiful, and don't laugh at me. I would spray it on my pillow. Okay, how about this from your childhood? Fresh cut grass. Any takers out there on that? I played Pop Warner football, I played baseball, that whole, or you know, you just go to the park or whatever, you're playing with your buddies. Fresh cut grass, long lazy summers, right? Out there playing with your buddies and coming in when the street lights, right? Come on, all right? Uh, for me, the gas station. I don't know if you like the smell of gas or don't like the smell of gas, but For me, the smell of gas is synonymous with me going to a military base with my mom to see my dad and to have lunch with him. We didn't live on base, but we would always stop at the mobile station on Blaney Avenue and get gas. And it just, in our big station wagon, and it just reminds me of that time with my mom, getting gas, Um, and then food, okay? I know I have a lot of foodies out there. For me, Pacific Islander, lumpia, okay? lumpia frying in the frying pan, right? Those awesome, amazing lumpia rolls, rolled tight, got beef or pork and carrots in there, got sauces, but just that, you know, that kitchen smell. So those are like really super positive. I I can think of a huge negative though, these hospitals for me, you know, being a pastor for 30 years, just being called into every grave situation Um, the onset of illness, suicide, um, events that traumatize the body and being called to the hospital, and just that, I don't know, that sterile smell, okay? Now, why bring up all that? Well, no molecule crosses the blood-brain barrier faster and more powerfully than aromatic molecules. That's the science. A smell comes into your olfactory nerves and that just rockets messages to your limbic system, which trigger feelings, trigger emotions, trigger memories, and trigger reactions. Remember that one, right? And just like a smell lets you know something you can't see is present, God says when people encounter us, when people encounter followers of Jesus Christ, You let them know that your king and your kingdom are present. So here's where we're going in part four of Behind the Door. We're going to review just briefly the reality and commission to participate in the kingdom of God for every follower. Second, we're going to look at the implications of that. And then third, we're going to get into this topic of how people can see and sense the presence of the king and his kingdom in and through us. So let's review briefly the reality and commission to participate in the kingdom of God. At the top of the notes, there is the definition of the kingdom of God. And it's this, the kingdom of God is the supernatural realm and reality where God's purposes, presence, and power are present, operating, and alongside the natural, material, and visible everywhere I am. It's helpful to remember as a follower of Christ that you have a king, there is a kingdom, that's a, there's a ruler, and he rules over a realm, that is a reality that we are commissioned to participate in and that's why we're calling this series getting behind the door that behind the natural material invisible there's this space there's this reality that's forever and is going to outlast what we can see in the material invisible realm it's going to last forever and we're called into it All right? and that calling to participate in it is in Matthew 16 verses 18 and 19. It's right there on your notes. Jesus says this, now try to get this picture. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So you have three dynamics going on, and I want you to write this down. Again, foundational truths that go to you and your relationship with king and kingdom. Number one, I am commissioned personally by God. I'm commissioned personally by God. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. So it's a good old-fashioned handoff from God to us to get behind the door. participate in the kingdom of God. Number two, I am placed strategically by God. So you have a place, a location, a set of relationships for you to advance the kingdom, all right? And then number three, simple observation, I am called to live two-dimensionally for God. As citizens of heaven, authorized to ambassador the kingdom of God, authorized to advance the kingdom of God, on earth, key language, right? In the spaces and places that we occupy. Jesus said, whatever you bind, where? On earth, will be bound in heaven. So you see this two-dimensional life that every believer lives, okay? We're on earth, natural, material, visible reality, okay? And then we are citizens of heaven, We are ambassadors for king and kingdom. We enter into spaces and then we shift those environments and Jesus describes them in terms of binding and loosing where we call down the agenda of heaven to displace the agendas of earth and of man and of evil and of the flesh and of the world. So you see that we are in this We're in the Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, we have significance and place, and there is this great unfolding story. So we're commissioned personally, we're placed strategically to live two-dimensionally. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. Again, Jesus speaking to two-dimensional living as we live and breathe here on earth. And this reality of commission, this reality of placement, listen, this should turbocharge the significant spaces that you occupy today, right now, all right? Place matters. And the Bible speaks into that in Acts chapter 17. Listen to this this sequencing of God man, and how place matters. says this, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. Talk about an encapsulating truth about serving king and kingdom, where God creates men to live in certain times, places them strategically, places them chronologically in history, introduces things into their lives in their time and space in history, their geography, in their personal placement on planet earth, so that they would seek him and reach out for him and find him. Do you remember where you were? Do you remember when you came into relationship with Jesus? Do you remember um, entering in and starting that relationship where he went from being a far away concept to a personal savior and king? You see, this is really important for us. This should infuse this reality that we have our appointed time, we have our specific location, strategically, and now as ambassadors of the kingdom, commissioned to advance the kingdom, now guess what? Other people are placed in their appointed time and have their appointed boundaries near us so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him through you and through me. Pretty cool, right? So there's a foundational, there's a little more foundation for us. We define the kingdom of God again, made some observations, place matters, time matters. It's all ordained by God for us to advance the kingdom. Now, let's look at how God describes this influence, our influence as citizens of the kingdom, right? Serving the king and advancing his agenda, all right? And in your notes it says, you smell that? Remember we talked about smell, okay? And the headline there was, just as a smell rockets to your brain, okay? And is fast and powerful and triggers reactions, memories, feelings. Listen to how the Bible describes us in relationship to Jesus and to the world that we occupy says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation. An aroma redolent with life. But those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench from a rotting corpse. This is a terrific responsibility. Is anyone competent to take it on? No, but at least we don't take God's word, water it down, and then take it to the streets to sell it cheap. We stand in Christ's presence when we speak. God looks us in the face. We get what we say straight from God, and say it as honestly as we can. So remember what we observed with respect to smells, and then here is this passage that creates an identity for every follower of Christ, where he and she are a fragrance, we are an aroma, we are a sweet scent, right? That lets others know something's present that they can't see. And that refers to God. So what is God saying through his word to you and I right now? Write this down. God says, Christ in you should be sensed by others around you. Okay? Just like a smell lets people know something is present that they can't see. When people encounter us, we let them know Someone, something is present that they can't see with their eyes, but they sense with their spirit. I was just up north. I was out um, with family. Uh, there was a bunch of people gathering at a restaurant and we were sitting at tables. I was meeting some new friends of some of my family up members up in Northern California. And I got into a conversation with a police officer and we were just talking about life and talking about myself. And I was asking questions about his family and who he is and what he does and just trying to get into him. And then he was asking me. And, and then you know what he said without ever having mentioned that I'm a follower of Christ or um, uh, a believer? He just comes out with it and he goes, you're a believer. And I went, yes, I am. And this is what the Bible talks about, where, we're going to unpack this, where believer to non-believer, believer believer to other believer, believer to active, aggressive non-believer, we're supposed to be sensed and seen um, just like a smell is. And I love this picture. So... Christ in you should be sensed by others around you. And and here's the principle, uh, if you're taking notes. Whatever is ruling you on the inside leaks out of you. So if if self is ruling and reigning on the inside of you, self-importance, self-gratification, self-preservation, pride, fear, and the anxiety that goes along with losing power or losing stuff or losing your image, that will leak out of you on the other hand if christ dwells in you through his holy spirit truth dwells in you freedom dwells in you peace dwells in you joy uh dwells in you love uh dwells in you and the love of god making you inwardly emotionally secure that's gonna leak out as well that's what jesus said Right? Good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up inside him. Evil things come out from the evil that is stored up inside of us. All right, So Christ in you should be sensed by others around you. So when you're behind the door, when you're participating in the kingdom of God, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says others will catch a whiff of Christ, his kingdom, his presence, his power, His purpose, something's there that they may not be able to put their finger on, or maybe they do, like my police officer friend did, right? So let's unpack this, all right? Let's unpack the passage and get into just the cool aspects of being an aroma and a fragrance of Christ. Number one, God senses and enjoys you living out your identity in Christ. God senses and enjoys you living out your identity in Christ. Look at what it says in the passage right there. It says, because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God. How cool is that? You know, your your inner loves, your affections uh, that... Are toward God and toward Jesus. Your willingness to love God and to love people and obey His commands. Your love for what He says. Your partnership with the Holy Spirit. God senses and enjoys you living out this identity in Christ. And the closest thing I can come to it—it's just when you know a son or daughter. If you're a parent, you know they reflect a value that reflects you. That's positive. Doesn't that give you a sense of joy and satisfaction to see your children living out the good parts of your character and values that you deposited into them? God feels the same way. Talks about this in Romans chapter 12, verse one. It says this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, listen, and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So when we make new choices and consistent choices toward king and toward kingdom, those choices that we make go into God's person. I mean, that's what assent does. Ascent goes into us as a person, and then it triggers a reaction and emotions and responses that can be very pleasing. And that's the picture isn't that cool that's the picture of our relationship with god so keep making those new choices keep making those consistent choices toward king toward kingdom and those choices as you make them recognize this truth it goes into god's god's person and it's ple- he feels pleasure when he sees you staying behind the door and participating in kingdom things number two we see in the passage, people sense Christ's leadership in our life. Look at what the passage says. It says, In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one, listen, perpetual victory parade. Think of think of a parade, okay? Think of the Macy's Day parade, Rose Bowl Parade. Okay, now back in the times when this was written. What comes to the forefront in terms of parade for a first century person that this describes is what they call the vir triumphalis. okay? I know that if it sounds Latin, it is, all right? And what the vir triumphalis was, was when a conquering general who had been away for most of the time, years, has conquered nations, right? He's expanded the empire, expanded the kingdom, right? And he is finally returning after battle with his column of men in tow. Listen to this. There are trumpets. There are pounding drums. There's the army marching in column behind the veer triumphalus the 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 conquering general the conquering king in many instances and in this amazing like once a century maybe victory parade there's incense bears okay now we're now we're talking about smells all right so it's the smell of victory and it's everywhere it's filling all the spaces of the great city as the conquering king or general comes in and there's there's spoils and, and, and his army and it's all there. Got the picture? Smells filling every space. A parade, a victorious king. And then we see in our passage in Messiah and Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade, right? Jesus is the conquering king. We are his victorious soldiers. And the Bible talks about this, talks about the victorious aroma that that followers of Jesus, the victorious king, give off. All right? talks about this in 1 John 5, uh, verses three through five. It says, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, listen, for everyone born of God Overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Wow. Now, some of you are just like, okay, I didn't know I was an overcomer and I overcome the world, you know, with my faith. Kenny, what does that look like? Well, you know what it looks like? Maybe in a situation you're capable of retaliation, but you choose reconciliation. Maybe in a situation you pass on power to take care of people. Maybe you're less self-absorbed and more freely noticing others in your life. Maybe you cover people's mistakes versus highlight them and nitpick at them. Maybe, like God, you hate loneliness and you move toward those who are the least, the lost, and the left out, like Jesus did. You see, that's a victorious kingdom lifestyle. We move from place to place in one victorious, perpetual victory parade. Isn't that cool? Number three, people sense Christ's character in me. Okay? People sense Christ's character. I mean, look at what it says in the passage. We're just kind of rolling through it. It says, through us, he brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. That's pretty cool. I love the adjective exquisite. Jesus is exquisite. He stands alone, right? And this picture of people breathe, breathing in a fragrance. Um, Translation, God wants to diffuse the essence of Christ's character out of you, because he's in you, out of you and on to the others that are around you, okay? That's the process, right? We say yes to a relationship with Christ by believing in his person and work. God saves us and all these great things automatically happen because we are in Christ. But that's not, that's not the end of the story. He saves us, then he starts transforming us from the inside out and he starts making us like Christ. Talks about this in Romans 8, 29. It says this, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, listen, to be conformed to the image of his son. That, okay, connective phrase he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What's God saying? It's like Jesus, firstborn of creation, right? He's the beginning and the end, always in, the uncaused cause, God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus, okay? Now, in the Bible, he's presented as a family member of ours. Pretty good older brother right? And then in the passage, it says, in Christ, God's plan is to conform us to his image. He wants us to have the family resemblance, okay? Yeah, I don't know if you knew families where you grew up, but we had families. We had the Baroni family, the Luck family, the Distel family, you know, and those families had personalities. They had characteristics, right? They were types of people, right? Um, That had... uh, ethnicities and culture and values and things that they emphasize. Same in God's family, right? He, We are the many brothers and sisters that have come after, right, the son, and we're supposed to have the family resembled. We're conformed to his image. So people sense Christ's character in me, all right? Let's move to the next group that we impact that that, that people catch a whiff of us, and that's fellow followers. And what do they do? They sense and receive Christ's encouragement um, in me, from Christ's presence in me. They receive Christ's encouragement from Christ's presence in me. All right? Listen to what the Bible says in the passage in 2 Corinthians. We, right, the followers of Jesus, give off a sweet scent, rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation. Okay, those are believers. Those are people who are saved, right? An aroma, redolent with life. Can I just say something? Believers should be able to smell other believers through encouragement. We evangelize non-believers. That's our commission there. You know what our commission is to other believers? To encourage, right? If you're lost, we want to share the good news of Jesus with you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus in word and deed, okay? With other believers, we want to encourage you. Question, would people around you say that you are an encouraging person? Do you freely notice others and their, their positive actions, their, po- their positive character qualities, and do you speak it? into their lives. Do you come alongside people when they're low, or do you just say to yourself, man, I'm glad I'm not in that position? You see, encouraging people are really rare, and here's what you need to know. It's never not a good time to encourage a fellow believer, okay? To pray with another fellow believer, to notice something about a fellow believer, to lift up lift them up when their their sword is heavy and their shield is heavy, and to enter into life with them. Look at what it says, the command and commission of believers with believers. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing, okay? So we are appointed to advance the kingdom, right? We are we ambassador the kingdom, we advance the kingdom because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven serving the king. But then there's other ambassadors, right, that are in the same work, that they're in the same army, same king, and there is a mutuality, there is a reciprocity, and there is a unity there that, that can't you can't put a price on. And there's encouragement, specific encouragement to be offered as a fellow citizen and servant of the king of heaven and i just want to encourage you if you know believers figure out a way to encourage them people in your small group people in your church all right because nine out of ten people are walking around with a problem or issue they would love to resolve and it's causing stress and pressure in their life that's life on earth and man i need other believers do you need other believers And then i need to be the other believer that they need who comes alongside and sees them and recognizes them and validates them as a son or daughter of jesus so really important ministry to people in general so we're ministering to god we're ministering to others they're sensing uh, his leadership and presence in me fellow followers are sensing and receiving christ's encouragement from his presence in me And then let's move now to the active non-follower who by choice, write this down, will sense what they don't desire and react negatively to me, all right? The passage says this, so we give off a sweet scent recognized by believers and then it goes on and says, but those on the way to destruction versus salvation treat us more like the stench from a rotting corpse. And you don't have to look very far in today's culture, uh, then or now, for the persecution of Christians, people who serve a king, who has a kingdom, and they don't bow to the forces of culture, the forces of men, popular opinion, and they don't cave, right? And there are people, that you will bump into who by choice sense what they don't desire in you, which is to be accountable to king and kingdom, and they react negatively to you because you have said yes to relationship with your king and creator, you are a servant of that kingdom, and they view that as a threat to their autonomy and independence which is reflected all the way back to the garden when Adam said, I'll determine what's good and evil. They are, they are the masters of their own universe. They are king of their own kingdom, little k. All right? The Bible talks about them where they don't have a relationship with God. Their future is separation from God. All right? Now, Jesus, recognizing that his followers would bump into non-followers that sense what they don't desire in his followers. He said this, "'Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, "'and falsely say all kinds of evil against you "'because of me. "'Rejoice and be glad, "'because great is your reward in heaven. "'For in the same way they persecuted the prophets "'who were before you.'" All right? Now, this picture of a parade, a victorious king, think about it. God's kingdom is advancing right Jesus has won the victory his kingdom is advancing advancing in victory over all the earth right and is headed to that ultimate victory celebration so we've won we're in a parade and we're heading toward ultimate historical and eternal triumph okay so your smell of that victory by Jesus ongoing and what's coming in the future will create reactions from, listen, soldiers of defeat. Those who are not a part of the victorious parade and the victory which happened at the cross, the victorious resurrected king that we serve that gives us resurrection power so that we're overcomers of the world and that will culminate in the victorious return of the veer triumphalis the conquering king who has conquered the universe and we will celebrate him but between now and then we are in this in these skirmishes all right where people who still believe that they can they can run their own lives and thumb their nose at god and say i don't want i don't want your authority i'm in authority pretending to be god they will collide with people of the spirit and ambassadors of heaven. They'll react negatively. Now, that doesn't fit into kind of the general flow of Christian circles or even the way human beings are supposed to treat each other. But it's a reality that Jesus talks about. And you shouldn't be surprised that what smells sweet to a believer uh, smells differently to an acute Non-believer, and what we gotta remember about smells is that smells aren't neutral. They are judged, rejected, or accepted, avoided or embraced, received or repulsed, okay? There's no such thing as a neutral smell, okay? You don't smell neutral smells, okay? If it's odorless, then you're not reacting. But if there's an odor, if it's a smell, if it's a fragrance, if it's a scent, okay? You're gonna reject or receive that scent, you're gonna avoid or embrace it, or you're gonna be repulsed or move toward that. But here is what you need to know. In any context, the defeated loathe the victorious. So just prepare yourself. You know, there are others who who are who are, who are non-followers, but they're seeking then there's active non-followers, and then there's believers, and then let's write this last one down. It's in the, it's last in the passage. People will sense true humility before God and accountability to God. Look at what it says. This is a terrific responsibility, being that aroma, okay? To followers, non-followers, and people in general. This is a terrific responsibility. Is anyone competent to take it on? No but at least we don't take God's word, water it down, and then take it to the streets and sell it cheap. We stand in Christ's presence when we speak. God looks us in the face. We get what we say straight from God and say it as honestly as we can. Now, you see there that the believer has this humility before king, kingdom, what God says, and what we see in this passage is there's two don'ts and one do. The first don't that we see is don't dilute who you are. Okay, You're a son or daughter of the king, and you are an ambassador uh, of heaven. That's your identity. You're a fragrance. People are supposed to smell and see and sense that you belong to him. That's the first don't. Don't dilute who you are, and then don't dilute what God says. He says, no, but at least we don't take God's word, water it down, and then take it to the streets and sell it cheap. Okay? So don't do those things. Don't dilute who you are, and don't dilute what God says. Here's the do. Do acknowledge your accountability to God and his presence. Right? That's where we read. We stand in Christ's presence. God looks us in the face. Okay? So we live for an audience of one. We acknowledge that we're created by God, we're created for God, one day we'll go back to God, that we have limited time, right? An unknown ending and a scheduled meeting where God will judge our motives, okay? And each man will receive his praise from God. When you live with that sense, man, that's humbling. That's it, we don't have to search for humility when there's God and there's us and he is the king and ruler and we are subjects of his kingdom. Now, Jesus lived this out, what we're talking about. He didn't dilute who he was, and he didn't dilute what God says. In John 8, 29, it says, he says this, as Jesus talking, he's talking to people who are watching him live his life and advance the kingdom. He says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, there's God's presence, for I always do what pleases him. Okay, you see that that humility in the relationship and then that that urgency and that that reciprocity there between God the Father and God the Son. Now, if this is Jesus and Jesus is in me, this is me. If this is Jesus and Jesus is in you, this is you. Now, moving on to You know this this whole idea we have to of that we're an aroma that we people will sense and see christ in us god wants christ in us to be sensed by others around us fellow followers sense christ in us through our ability to encourage non-followers sense what they don't desire and react to us and then people just see us living humbly and uh, in accountability to God and his right now presence and, and dominion in our lives, audience of one. There's this other kind of weird hybrid combo that Jesus talks about. And before we go to the passage, I want to ask you a question to set it up. Is it possible to be super, a super religious person and a, a hyper religious Christian, like over the top and be Super off, super religious, and super off—is that possible? Have you ever bumped into one of these people? That's my next question. You know, where they're super religious, uh, they, they everything is, is pretexted by a scripture and post-postscripted by another scripture, and and it's it's always hallelujah, praise the Lord, amen. Hall- you know, it's like every—it's just like way over the top. Okay. You ever bumped into one of those people and felt like they were driving people away from God versus drawing them to God because of their super religiosity, okay? Now, instead of an aroma that pleases God and pleases others, it's like, I don't know, bad cologne, right? Well, Jesus takes this on in Matthew 23, and man, he goes hard. Listen to the words of Jesus. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a 10th of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former you blind guides you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel man what a picture so jesus is taking on what what we might describe as religious nitpickers okay i'm going to move my glasses down right where a religious nitpicker will look down their nose and they think in the gaps well, this is what I do. And the the filter, their glasses is, this is what other people are not doing. This is what I do. I notice all the things that they don't do. And like keeping points, this is what I do, what I do, what I do. I go to church, I read my Bible. I I say things, I use words. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this. You know, I, I make sure that I'm following God's word all the time, and it, it's, and, and you know what, those poor people, they, they don't, okay? And in the process, they're, they look sweet on the outside, but they're actually a stench to others who are seeking God, others who don't know God. They create distance, they create space. If you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, somebody's lonely, hurting, beat up, and the Levite and the priest, they walk on the other side of the street in their, in their sweet religion, you know, staying away from anybody unclean. Man, then you have Jesus, he comes into the picture, he's breaking all the worlds, and man, he's moving their cheese. He's the friend of gluttons, he's the friend of drunkards, he's the friend Of sinners. Can I get a hallelujah? Because otherwise, I'm not in the family of God if Jesus is any other way. Um, Further along in that passage, Jesus says this to the super hyper religious He says, Whoa! to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will also be clean. And so Jesus is contrasting what they appear to be on the outside and then their motives for doing it and their motives are selfish, right? They're pimping God for personal power. They're pimping God for personal visibility. They're pimping God and his name, for selfish reasons, to be self-important, to gratify their own selfish desires, right? That's the inside of the cup and dish. And on the outside, it's, it's this super religious life, but the reasons they're doing it, they are selfish. You know, here's the common denominator in this sweet stench, right, of religion is that Satan loves the sweet stench of religion. Satan wants Christians to do the right things, all the right things, but for the wrong reasons, right? What's his goal? Dysfunctional spirituality that pushes people away from God versus drawing people to God, right? Using Christ followers, right? I mean, isn't it the perfect evil, evil loving religion, evil using perfect good as a, as a vehicle for self-gratification? I mean, you look at the scandals in the church. At, let's be honest, okay? The same dynamic that Jesus condemns here is present in the church worldwide where people start doing the right things, but their motives for doing those right things are selfish. And that's where we all gotta take a really hard look in the mirror, especially you pastors. God's not gonna judge what you do. He is going to judge the motive driving you to do those things. He sees past. The externals to the internal. Man looks at the outward appearance. You might be fooling man. God looks at your heart and the motivation behind why you do what you do. And this is a very clear warning to you and I, man of God, and to anybody who follows Jesus. Right? Nobel Prize winner Stephen Weinberg said this. He said, with or without religion, people who are good can behave bad and people who behave bad can behave good, but for good people to do evil, that requires religion. What's he observing? He's observing that good intentions slightly off on the inside with selfish motives are disastrous. Now, Steven Weinberg is not anti-creator, he is not anti-Christianity, but here's a really smart dude making some simple observations that Jesus was making in the first century when he was walking earth, and it serves as a warning. There are words in the Bible toward the sweet stenchers, the people who use religion to feel power, to gain wealth, to serve themselves. These warnings are there in Matthew 23, for you, for me, especially for any pastor. So, let's wrap this up. Behind the door of the kingdom of God, right? Where king and kingdom in you is at work, all right? And God's saying, I want king and kingdom in you to be sensed by others around you. And he paints this picture in his word about us being in a fragrance and aroma where you get a reaction. People sense that, right? And if that's your desire, To be that fragrant aroma rising to God, where we're pleasing to God and making consistent choices. That fragrant aroma, where people are sensing Christ in you, they're sensing Christ's leadership. And then, even for the active non-follower, right, they might be reacting to you as well. At least you know now, in advance, that the smell of victory triggers those who loathe the smell of victory because they're defeated. And then just... Living for an audience of one, um, recognizing in humility God's presence with us always, and that that we're in we're in His parade. Okay, it's not our parade; it's His parade. He's the conquering King. He 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 won at the cross. He's winning now. We are representatives of His victory, overcoming the world, even our through even our faith. And there is an ultimate, vir triumphalis, massive parade that's coming and culminating in Christ's return. If you want the power to change and to smell sweet to other people who are seeking or who don't know Jesus or to other believers in Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you can read it right on the screen with me. Holy Spirit, I want to be the aroma of Christ that people see and sense. Fill me and work in me to make me more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world. Help people to see and sense your leadership in my life as I simply follow your voice, your will, and your way. Help people see and sense your character as I boldly pursue change and the fruit of the Spirit. Help me see and intentionally encourage fellow followers of Christ, spreading the triumphant joy of the victorious, uniting our purpose and future as we march behind you in triumph. Help me share my story and spread the exquisite nature of Christ among those who even reject me, leading some to belief and salvation. In every circle of influence you place me in, never let my faith be about me, but about Christ and his victory. Search my motives, cleanse my heart, reveal impurity and replace it with spiritual integrity. And because I know the evil one desires to pollute my influence, I accept and exercise my authority in you to bind any spirit of religion and loose the Holy Spirit aroma of life. I ask for more and more life to come from you to me so that I can be life-giving in your name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, just let me know or let someone else know. And if that was meaningful to you, if this session was meaningful, this Bible study, uh, share it with other people today, especially with other believers, as we get behind the door of the natural material visible, and we serve in the superhumanity and super adventure of the kingdom of God. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.